to Acts chapter 3. We actually got out of chapter 2. I will, however, make a few minor references back that way. Before I even begin at all, I want to uh, seek the Lord's special help. Our God and Father, we bow before you this morning and, uh, and, and call upon you to uh, meet our, our special and individual needs. Uh, for they are, they are many, they are real, and, uh, and we look to you as our great God uh, to, to teach us and to guide us and direct us. And I pray that nothing that uh, is said or nothing from the speaker would impede the working of your spirit in the hearts and lives and in the minds uh, of each one here. Oh God, I ask that you would also uh, speak to my heart. And may we all, by your word, be cleansed and sanctified according to the wondrous promises that are given to us through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we call upon you at this time once again, our God, how uh, thankful we are for your mercy toward us and seek your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, uh, Acts chapter 3, I think I want to just read the chapter, even though it's a very familiar story for all of us, uh, and I'm sure, but uh, uh, let's read it together and, and uh, pay a, uh, special attention once again to all of the details of this, of this marvelous record. So Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered in with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness 
we had made this man to walk. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his servant Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto your fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you, and it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first... God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. It sounds as though Peter was going to continue speaking, and he probably was, but he was interrupted by the authorities at that point. And we will interrupt our reading at that point. This story gives you flashbacks, I assume, like it does almost everyone back to Sunday school, back in the, when you were a kid. <laughs> Hear these wonderful stories and sing that, that cool, that wonderful little song, walking and leaping and praising God. You know, it just, just touches your heart to even read this story again. It's, a, it, it's the first miracle done by the apostles, recorded after Pentecost, and it's recorded with, with a lot of detail. Uh, probably, I suppose, it's, it's because it's such a cool story. That's why the Spirit of God spent so much time on it, right? Or maybe there's more to it than that. If you look back at uh, uh, chapter 2 and verse 42, one of those brief little references backing up. Uh, uh, they continued, speaking of those that, that believed and were baptized, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers. Verse 43, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, it says there. There were many wonders and signs that were done by the apostles. 
So, so Luke had uh, apparently quite a, uh, an array of wonderful works of miracles that he could have chosen uh, to record, um, but apparently out of the many, Luke, by direction of the Holy Spirit, chose this one to describe in detail. So it must mean that there's, there's more to this than just the coolness of the story that this is going to lead us into another understanding, a better understanding of the great gospel message that, uh, that was given uh, uh, to, the, to the church in the New Testament to stand on, to proclaim to the world by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit. Of course, it, of course it was not... Uh, it was not the, the apostles that did these wonders and miracles by any stretch at all, was it? Uh, it, was, it was God working through them. And I just want to reference three texts that, uh, that, that lead us to understand how God, the triune God, uh, is involved in this. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4. He's speaking about how we need, in chapter 2 there, we need to give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, uh, unless we slip, because uh, in verse 3 he says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which was uh, first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. And verse 4 says, And God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. God himself, doing signs and miracles and wonders through these apostles to bear witness to the truth of what they had, uh, what they were proclaiming. Uh, and then I'll look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 20, the last uh, verse actually of the book of Mark. <clears throat> and there he's, uh, the Lord Jesus is given Mark's record of the Great Commission, and he sent these, uh, sending these apostles forth, and he, was, uh, and he ascended up to the right hand of the majesty on high, and so forth. And so, uh, verse 19, it says, Then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven, and sat on the right hand of God. Verse 20, They, that would be the apostles whom we had commissioned just in these previous verses, they went forth, and preached everywhere the Lord, excuse me, and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen, says Mark as he finishes that God. The Lord working with them. That would be the Lord Jesus, of course, the, the blessed Son of God and Savior. He, with them, as he had promised, he would never leave them nor forsake them. All power was given unto him in heaven and in earth, and therefore he sent them forth in his power, by his strength, with his presence, the Lord working with them and confirming their, their word with, with marvelous signs. So the Lord Jesus was working these miracles, right? And then if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, again, uh, a, a text that we're very much familiar with, I suppose. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where the, it's uh, describing how the Holy Spirit himself made, made himself evident. He, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man with all in verse 7. 
And he speaks of these gifts. To one is given by the Spirit, the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. And then he says, and to another, of a different kind, the kinds of tongues and another interpretation of tongues. All of these working, but all these working that one and self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So the Holy Spirit is doing these wonderful signs and miracles through the apostles. We have the, the working of the triune God in these in these uh, through the apostles, and it, but that is that is a, a, an important note that God working miracles and signs to confirm the truth of the gospel uh, always works through men. <laughs> always work. All of these signs and miracles were done by the apostles. God working through them. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. That's something that teaches us great lessons, isn't it? God wrought through the apostles. Now, <clears throat> here in this case, it was by Peter, and John was accompanying him. I wanted to make a little note that there's that we need that I'm going to try to make a little comparison as we go here through between these two chapters. I'll bring that up later. In this case, Peter is the one through whom God would work to move this to, to re, uh, bring this miracle about, this, this wonderful sign. And he's accompanied by John. I, I, I thought, as I thought about that, you know, where's James? James got, uh, isn't in the picture at this point. That's interesting. Peter and John. Usually a lot of times it's Peter, James, and John, but I don't know, James didn't fit into this uh, particular story. In fact, uh, we, we don't see much about James in the book of Acts except his death his martyrdom in a few chapters. It's interesting, and just a note besides. This is no doubt coincidental that that these two apostles, Peter and John, happen to bear such appropriate names for the for the context of what's going on. Peter, uh, that name Peter means a stone or a rock, and uh, which is which of course is a wonderful description. The the rock uh, is a descriptive title of our Lord Jesus, isn't it? He is the rock. And whenever we think of it, especially when we think of it, we think of the rock that was smitten, uh, from which gushed out the waters, type of the Holy Spirit, which would sustain his people in the wilderness. This, uh, just So that, that just, uh, my mind was immediately connected to that. And then John, the name John, uh, which is a Greek rendering of the, of the Hebrew name, which means Jehovah the gracious giver. So it's emphasizing the gift of the of the God of grace. Uh, so Peter, the rock uh, that was smitten, as it were, uh, accompanied by the gift of God, especially in the in the in this book, God's gracious gift. It was the Spirit of God, wasn't it? It was the, the gift that the Lord Jesus would pray to the Father to receive that he might give and he might pour it out upon those that are his disciples, enabling them to live for him while he's there in heaven praying for them or interceding for them. So this is a, a, the once smitten according to the 
determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, the once smitten Christ, uh, exalted now, and the resulting outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the great gift of God. This is the theme of this book so far. That's the powerful theme that this book is presenting to us. I'm sure that the fact that their two names uh, fit so well with that is, is purely coincidental, I'm sure. So they came into the temple, it says, at the hour of prayer. Uh, <clears throat> that would be the ninth hour, says, says Luke. Well, I guess three, three o'clock in the afternoon, I suppose, is as they entered in. It, it just occurred to me that, you know, for, for us now, however, <laughs> you know, we don't wait for the ninth hour to pray. Well, every hour is an hour of prayer for us, isn't it? Isn't that a wonderful thing? We don't have to go to the temple to pray. You don't have to travel all the way over there and find God in the temple. Uh, no, he has made the way open for us. I, that's just a side note, not part of this text, but it just came, occurred to me as I was writing my notes. I thought, wow, every hour, uh, I need thee every hour. Sometimes we sing that, that beautiful hymn. And how it, it touches our hearts because we identify with that, right? I need thee every hour. How, how can we get along in this age, in this day, in our lives? The way we are, the way we are, we need, we need God every hour. We need God moment by moment, yes? <laughs> I'm sure that you can identify with me in that. And no one knew that more. Keenly, more was more. Probably no one was more aware of that than the man that they met when they came to the temple at that hour. And that man's—we don't have his name, but he's a beggar. He's that poor, lame beggar. He's there, sitting before the gate called Beautiful, and uh, he's probably been there all day. Uh, he probably has been there all day, every day. He's. Uh, I'm sure that that's where he spent his days. In front of that beautiful gate. Begging. He could go nowhere else. It tells us in the text that they, that they carried him there. He was carried, I don't know who carried him. Um, maybe for a while it was his parents that carried him over there. But he's an older man now. He's 40 years, above 40 years old, we find out in the next chapter. So maybe it was his friends. Maybe he had some friends that were compassionate toward him. And as they were about to go about their day and go do the things that they wanted to do, I suppose they said to him, oh, what are you, what are you going to do today? Oh, just sit in front of the gate, I guess. I mean, he doesn't do anything else. He can't do anything else. The man is lame. He is a congenitally lame man. He, has, he cannot walk. He has never walked. They carried him. And dropped him off as it were on their way to work. It sounds like a crude way to put it, but that's that's kind of this this poor man's lot. He's uh, I wonder why he chose the temple uh, to sit every day in front of the gate called Beautiful. Why, why would he choose that place? Maybe, maybe he's hoping that you know, that religious people will be more 
uh, inclined to be generous, maybe. Maybe that's what he had in mind. He thought, well, this is a good gig, right? I'm going to sit here because people going into the temple are more likely. Maybe. Maybe that's what he thought. I don't know. Maybe, though. Maybe it was another reason that was deep in his heart. Maybe it was just sort of like a, a desperate hope. Oh, what hope is left for a man like that? What hope has he? Well, where are you going to be? Where are you going to spend? Maybe, maybe he was decided to be carried there and deposited there for his day every day in front of the gate, beautiful, because he had heard Isaiah 35, perhaps, that had promised to him that God would come someday to that place, that temple place. And, and why not wait there? Because when he comes, he said in Isaiah 35, he has promised that, that he would save his people. And then it says these words, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Maybe he dreamt of a day. When those crippled legs would be restored and working. The day, I mean, God has promised it, has he not? I hope that's why he was there at the gate every day. If you have to sit somewhere, might as well sit at the beautiful gate and wait for the fulfillment of the beautiful promises of God. You know, this lame man becomes a, a, a sort of a sad picture of mankind. And, and of actually more than mankind, of creation. But especially of mankind. He's man which was made according to the, the great and merciful, the wonderful purposes of God. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So, so man was made as like the masterpiece of God's great creation. And, and he's uh, in, intended to be uh, a, a special element of fellowship for God in creation. Walking, what is walking about? Well, walking in the scriptures, the very first mention of any walking done is God himself walking in the garden to fellowship with Adam and Eve. The, as far as mankind is walking, there's no. the first time that's mentioned is Enoch walked with God. It says that twice of him. He walked with God. In other words, walking has to do with, interact, or with companionship, of, of, of moving in, in harmony, of, of moving together. Walking, in this case, had to do with fellowship with God. And mankind was intended to walk with God. And, and the next time it's mentioned in the scriptures there, it's about Abraham. God says to Abraham, walk all through the land. This is in, in Genesis chapter 12. Everything that your foot treads upon, I have given to you. 
All of the promises of the loving heart of God and the grace of God was was given to Abraham and he was and walking to walk is to walk in those marvelous promises to walk in the great provision of God for man God man walking in all of the great things of God that he has given to us that's what walking is about that's why God gave you feet and as we get up and walk now I've had most of the winter uh sore feet or plantar fasciitis I guess it's called or something like that my feet have been killing me today they feel great by the way so it's just the way but I understand how nice it is to be able to walk when we walk think about what it's about walk with God in fellowship walk in the very presence of God or the very uh, promises of God and the provision of God for you and then the third place the next place that walking shows up is in the 17th chapter of Genesis again to Abraham when God says to him walk before me I am the God walk before me and be thou perfect we have been given feet and legs to walk before God answering to God and in service to God and for God's pleasure, that's what we're given legs for and feet for, to walk before the Lord. And uh, and this man, this man not only couldn't walk, but he had never walked. The feet and legs were gone as far as that's concerned. He is uh, not able uh, to walk with God, so to speak, you know. Not able to enter into the promises and provisions of God. He's sitting outside the gate, beautiful and waiting, begging. Not able to serve God. He cannot go in. He's just going to sit there. He'd be there every day. Oh, that beautiful gate, that beautiful gate, uh, and yet inaccessible. That, that glorious temple where God dwelt, here is mankind outside, and unable, unable to go in for what they were made for, and yet it, 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 it's dysfunctional. Um, he had never walked. His his condition was a congenital condition right from birth. So almost says something like this. Uh, in sin did my mother conceive me. It's a congenital condition, isn't it? If he had... If it was through his faith... Um, I mean, if he was there to, because he had still retained some some glimmer of hope in the promises of God, that God said someday, someday when I come, I'll save my people from their sins. When I come, I'll take away these congenital issues. I will deal with the with the brokenness of mankind. The blind will see, the deaf will hear. 
The lame man will leap like a heart. And the dumb will sing my praises. And maybe he retained just a, a glimmer of hope as he sat there day by day. But if so, if that is the case, I might be reading into it. But if that is the case, it would be quite remarkable faith, wouldn't it? He's over 40 years old. How long must a man wait in suffering? How long must it go on? If he, if he was there every day for 40 years, that would be 14,600 days. And these promises that God had made that he might be with, that we hope, I hope he was clinging to yet, these promises have still not been fulfilled 2,000 years later, another 730,000 days. How, how long do we wait? How long will the damage and devastation, the curse of sin go on? And that, right outside the gate, the beautiful gate to the temple of God. In the very, in the, in the very presence of God dwelling is this devastation, this suffering, this How long, oh God, how long will it ever come? Will there ever be a release, a restoration? And we don't know when, how long, we can't answer that question. When that question was asked by the martyrs under the altar in Revelation chapter 6, I think it is, or 5, the answer wasn't given. The answer that they got was a little while longer. Remember, a little while longer. He, they were given white robes and say, you have to wait a while longer till the others who would be martyred will be accomplished. So we don't know how long, but will it be ever happen? We do know the answer to that, and that's a resounding yes, according to the very promises and commitment of God. And the lame man, this lame man, his number is about to come up, by the way. 14,601, and ding, the bell rings for him. <laughs> his number is about to come up, but not because, not because the time had arrived when God is going to deal with sin. But God in his wonderful grace and mercy toward mankind is going to use this, this lame man. And demonstrate the certainty of what he was proposing to do and will do, has promised to do, in a future day. And so God has chosen him to be a prototype to confirm the certainty of God's promise for restoration. And that's the wonderful story that we read, isn't it? Silver and gold have I not. No, it won't be by silver and gold or any of that sort of thing. But by the name of the Lord Jesus, restoration is promised. So now we see him walking and leaping and praising God. He becomes a picture of God's great redemptive program, not just to save our souls, but beyond that, to restore 
all that was broken by sin and its curse. In chapter 2, this is what I was going to do before, and I skipped and said I'm going to take it and cover it later. And you giggled, and you didn't think I would ever get to it. Ha-ha, the joke's on you. <laughs> no, I can't find it in my notes. <laughs> chapter 2, here it is, sideways on the margin. The message is the gospel as it answers the condemnation of sin. But chapter 3 is the the gospel, the message is that the gospel as it answers to the consequences of sin. That's how I want to, that's what I want to uh, demonstrate now. This lame man becomes a picture, like I said, of God's great plan, his redemptive program, to restore what has been broken, what was lost by sin, uh, and restore it completely to God. The lame man was healed outside of the gate, and then what does he do? He accompanies Peter and John into the temple of God, and they find themselves very soon in Solomon's porch. Of course, Solomon. That name means peace. That name means that name means peace before God. I, I'm sure that's coincidental too. He's no longer begging, but now his lips are are employed in praising. Instead of asking, oh, please help me and give me something. Don't you see? I need this. Please. Now he's saying, oh, God, what you have given. What a difference. What a change has occurred for this man. Well, this caused quite a stir, as you can imagine, in the temple in this day, in these days. And, and Peter says, uh, well, uh, don't look at us. Don't look at us. This is obviously God's doing. He, he is glorifying his son. My, my text says son, but the word should be servant. And I think that's what yours probably says, right, Gerald? Servant? Um, anyway, it's a reference to take the people there back to Isaiah's predictions of the, of the glorious Messiah who would come as the servant of God. And that marvelous servant of God would come to do the will of God, what did that mean? That meant he would be the sacrifice for sin. Remember Isaiah 53. How God would lay on him the iniquities of us all. And by that great sacrifice and offering, this great servant of God would accomplish the will of God and bring redemption to his people. How wonderful is this connection that Peter wants to make with their minds. This is God, God is glorifying the servant of his choice. Behold my servant, says Isaiah. Behold my servant, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. That's the servant that's glorified now in the temple by the lame man who is walking and leaping and praising God. You, says Peter, don't forget this, you, you delivered him up. This servant of God's election and choice, you delivered him up, you denied him, 
You denied the Holy One and the Just One. You denied Him, he says again, and desired a murderer. Chose Satan, you might as well say, because who puts murder in the heart of mankind? It was put there right from Cain and Abel. It was put there. He was, why did Cain murder his brother? Because he was of that wicked one, says John. This, you chose Satan. Can you imagine that? And desired a murder and you killed the prince of life. This indictment, says uh, Peter, lays upon these people. And yet, the story doesn't end there. God raised him from the dead. And we're witnesses of it. And so he's telling them, it is this, the whole possibility of renewal, of restoration, of correction of all of the uh, of all the crippling effects of sin is only possible, is offered to us through Jesus, God's great servant. That's where that's the source. He was the prince of life whom you killed. And now you are sort of a living dead without the prince of life. But God raised him from the dead and wholeness and perfect soundness comes from the resurrected Lord Jesus. I wrote in my uh, Bible, uh, the healed lame man is a demonstration of what faith in the name of Jesus will do. Not just can do, but will indeed do. This is, this is a, uh, a little prototype that God's giving in mercy now to his people to wake them up. That the promises that he has made of the restoration of all things is found and will be accomplished through the one whom he has raised from the dead and seated at his own right hand. This is the wonderful message here. Now Peter says, I know through ignorance, we are down to about verse 17. He says, I know that you did this through ignorance, but I'm afraid ignorance is no excuse. You may have been the blind being led by the blind, but guess what? You both end up in the ditch. You both end up in the ditch. You're both culpable. You have killed the prince of life. It may have been the stupidest thing you ever did, but you did it. And so he says, uh, the amazing thing is, you may have been ignorantly going along with the, with the, all of the understand, all the the broken, the twisted, the wrong understanding, the miss. Uh, you may have been stupidly going along in, in this whole thing of assassinating the Prince of Life, but it wasn't a mistake. God had already decided it that it must happen. Christ must suffer. The prophets have told it. He says in verse eighteen. You may have been ignorance on your part. It was no ignorance on God's part. It was no surprise to him. God knew what was coming and has, and has planned it. In fact, his son would be the very sacrifice that's necessary to take away your sin and to bring about the restoration that you really desire. Verse, uh, so verse 19, Peter says, repent 
Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing. It says when, but it could be so that the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. I just want to compare that message, that uh, uh, exhortation from the message to the one that he gave back in chapter 2, you remember, in verse 38, after, the, after he had uh, laid before them once again the charge that they had crucified and slain, the one that God had approved, he says to them there, Repent ye therefore, or excuse me, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is unto you and to your children, etc. So in that text, it's repent and be baptized. In this text, it's repent and be converted. Compare those two in our minds just a second here. There, in chapter 2, as he, as he brings the charge against them of what they had done, what they were guilty of, how their hands were stained with the blood of Christ, he's bringing before them the guilt, the awful guilt of the sin, the awful judgment that is going to fall. Joel tells them that there, the prophecy of Joel says, there will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days, and then there will be, ultimately, there will be judgment brought Signs in the heaven and so forth, there will be judgment brought. And the offer there is that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord be saved. Saved from what? Saved from that judgment. The judgment that God is going to bring on this earth for what they have done to his son. How they have rejected him, how they took him outside the city and crucified and slain him. God will bring judgment on this place. And it is coming. Be sure of it. And this time that we have now, that time that Peter is saying, wake up, you have an opportunity to repent and have the guilt, the awful guilt that's upon you, removed so that you will not have to face the judgment of a very angry God. Instead, you will have the mercy that he offers in this age. That was chapter 2, the washing, so repent, uh, Deal with that guilt here. It's the in chapter three. The problem that he's bringing before them is the problem of their uh, the result of sin, the consequence of it, not the guilt of sin, but the absolute. What has sin done to you? What has sin done to creation? What has sin done? You're crippled. You're 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 like a living dead man. Death has come in, as it must from sin. uh, uh, The wages of sin is death. God had said so in the garden. In the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. That was not God saying, if you eat there, I'm going to bang you on the head and kill. No, he was saying, don't do it, it will kill you. There in Acts chapter 2, he says, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Here it's repent and be converted. 
to baptize, and we went over that at that time. Baptism was say, change your allegiance, uh, agree to Christ, be on His, be His, join Him. Here is turn, be converted, be turned to. So there you might say it's turn away from. Here it's turn to God. And there it was for the remission of sins. Remission is a deliverance from bonds, as it were, kind of a, a, a taking away from the bonds, or you could say a washing away of the, of the sins that are upon you, that are clinging to you. Here it is that your sins might be blotted out. You notice the difference there. Erased, reversed. The effects of your sin can be reversed. We'll, 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 cleanse. we'll just take that away. There'll be no longer anything upon you in that regard. And there they were promised the gift of the Holy Spirit would come upon them if they would, if they would repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They would receive the gift of the promised Holy Spirit. You would become God's own. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, that means that God has taken you for his own. He has made you holy. You must be holy if you belong to God. That's what the promise was there, holiness. But here the promise is refreshing. Refreshing from the presence of the Lord. How does it say it? In the times that, so that the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of of the Lord. The word presence it may literally be translated from his face. That's what I thought of this morning when we sang that song that you brought out, uh, uh, Derek. Uh, sunshine. How's it go? The sunshine. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face. That's what we're talking about. He says, if you will repent and be converted, turn to God. What will you find? Not a harsh face, not a face of anger and judgment, but a face of refreshing grace. That's what God is offering. Grace, blotting out of our sins and his very presence. What a marvelous, marvelous promise that is. What a refreshing it was. Uh, for this lame man. There in chapter 2 was a reminder of the promises from God. For these promises were made to you. Here it's a reassurance of the future promises of God. Those were speaking of the past promises that were, you know, that were already, these are the future promises of God. It says, and, and he will send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. These promises that are yet to be fulfilled, we have a reassurance of them. If we will just repent and be converted, our sins might be blotted out. Which, this, these promises, we must not spend much time on this, he will send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution or restoration of all things, 
which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. God's purpose and program was always that the rest, that all things would be restored through Jesus Christ. Some suggest, a lot of commentators suggest, my, my Bible is one uh, has comments and so forth. It's a companion Bible by E.W. Bollinger. And, uh, he would say, and many suggest, that Peter is offering to the nation of Israel by this message the, the immediate coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as king. The kingdom, the millennial kingdom, is offered to them if they would repent and receive Christ now, nationally. This is supposed to be a national address. If they would repent and receive Christ now, the king would come and the kingdom would begin. But they refused it, and therefore it's been put, as in Bollinger's words, in abeyance for now more than 2,000 years. I think that's baloney. And there's many reasons I think that. That is just definitely not God's prime way. He does not say, if you will just repent, I'll come back. No, he knows when he's coming back. That, that, the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ to reign on this earth is according to the set time that God has set in his purposes from before the foundation of the world. And it did not depend upon whether or not anybody was going to receive him or whether they were going to repent first, or any of that sort of thing. No, none of that has, has, will come into the play of this. There is going to be a gap of time between verses 19 and 20, just like there was a gap of time, a great gap, the same gap of time between the, the two uh, halves of Joel's prophecy, for example, which we talked about at length months ago. There's a gap of time there. It's many thousands of years. How can that be? And, and what does that, what drives that? I think it occurred to me the magnitude of their sin at Calvary when they, came, when they crucified Christ. The magnitude of their sin is answered by an overarching magnitude of mercy. So that God will wait, God will wait a long time. In our, from our estimation for men to repent of what they have done before he pours out his wrath and judgment be not deceived it's coming there's absolute certainty that God is going to deal summarily with sin in this world I was going to make a little chart on the, on the whiteboard maybe for next time I will let me just close with these verses out of Romans chapter 8 Romans chapter 8, and I'd appreciate it if you'd turn with me to that if you have your Bibles. Romans chapter 8, and verse 16, we'll start there. Romans chapter 8 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That, that is refreshing. And that is the refreshing that he was speaking about back here. If you just repent and be converted, your sins might be blotted out. 
and this times of refreshing will come to you. The refreshment of the Holy Spirit in us, like us, like a well of water springing up into everlasting life, like like fountains of living water gushing out of your innermost being. That's the kind of refreshment that God wants to give. The Spirit Himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That is sons. And if and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Can you can you can you do you get a, any kind of a glimmer of, of what that might involve? We don't have any real good idea, but boy, we grasp, let your imagination expand be a, to be the, a son of God and a joint heir with Christ in glory. That's what this is. That's what God is giving. And, and But then he says, if so be that we suffer with him. Clearly, the joint heir... The inheritance that we get as sons of God, well, there will be going to be some, it's not going to be realized in its fullness right away. Clearly, because he speaks of suffering. Suffering is the result of our fallen condition. Suffering is the result of what sin has done in this world. There's going to be a gap here. There's going to be time You'll suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. It will happen. For I reckon, says Paul, is that fair? That 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 man had to sit there for 14,000 days and not get any relief? Is that fair that this world has gone on for thousands of years? We're talking thousands of years with suffering, with the results of sin, with the damage of sin, and there's no relief? Is it fair that every day you fight with sin in your own hearts, your own flesh, you have the infirmities of the flesh, the cravings of the flesh, the problems of the flesh, the the needs of the flesh, it goes on and on day after day. Is Is that okay? Why doesn't God straighten it out? Wait with him. Wait with him for the right time. Because he says this, I reckon, verse 18, that the sufferings, the passions, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's It's going to be more than worth the wait, more than worth the years of suffering. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected it, the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. That's the restoration, the times of restoration. You see, that's the times of refreshing and the times of restoration. Our Father, we thank you. Uh, We thank you for your great plan. Oh, what a great God you are. Evidenced to us by the greatness of your plan. And And the greatness of the plan is even underscored by the greatness, the greatness of the cost at which you implemented that plan even delivering up your own son 
that by him also you may freely give us all things. Oh God, help us to understand. Help us to believe. And yeah, we confess that sometimes we're tempted. We're tempted to kind of give up. We're tempted to cave under the suffering, under the infirmities, under the temptations, under the allurements of the world, under the the fiery darts of Satan. Sometimes we're tempted to cave. Oh God, help us remember the little story of the lame man. That day came for him. (laughs) He, He didn't even realize what was about to happen. When Peter and John took him by the right hand and lifted him up immediately, immediately. Legs received strength and his ankles were restored and he walked and leaped and praised you all the way into the temple, into that beautiful porch of Solomon's and peace with God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we pray that you'll help us to, to dwell on these things and to be, be strengthened by them, to be encouraged in these days. Help us to appreciate walking and learn the lessons of it. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.